This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Welcome to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Story to in- Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit. I am your host, Dr. Saba Maroof, and I am joined by my co-host, Calvin Moore and hey. Jess. Hi, Calvin. And, our, and Jess, our sound engineer. Hello. Um, and our purpose is to share stories um, of ordinary people who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And we hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. How's everyone doing today? I'm good. I'm super excited. I'm, I'm glad that you're good. We had a double header today, so I'm kind of like readjusting here. But <laughs> <laughs> a busy morning, busy day. Um, but I'm super excited. Um uh, to introduce our unsung hero of the day, uh, her name is Altaviz, and I'm sorry, uh, I'm like all over the place here. I've got like two windows open at the same time. Um, very surprised. I'm very excited. Altaviz Pelzer, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, and I think the way that we made a connection is really interesting. We're both part of a, you know, again, it's a power of social media here at play. Um, we're both on a group that's specifically dedicated to um, f- uh, she podcast it's called she podcaster or she podcast. And, um, and that's how kind of we made a connection. And you kind of can tell people what your show is about and say that you're looking for guests. And Altaviz was awesome. And she has a really cool story. And um, I think what you do is amazing. So I'm really excited to share it with everybody. So thanks for being here. Thank you guys for having me. Yes, definitely excited about the connections that I've been able to make online. So being able to connect with you was just a bonus. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, for sure. Me too. I've been kind of following along with some of the things that you share and talk about, um, you know, over the past few weeks. So thank you. Um, But just in a nutshell... Altaviz is a certified life coach, motivational speaker, and author. And her tagline is, or description is kind of the voice coach empowering women to define, accept, and use their unique voice after abuse. And she really helps um, to equip women to define, accept, and use their unique voice, especially coming out of, um, you know, some traumatic situations. And I know that we were kind of um, chit-chatting a little bit about that, too. So I'm really excited to talk to you about, um, you know, kind of how you started this, what you do, the impact, you know, how you impact the women, um, you know, that you're helping and share some glimpses of the women that you've helped. Um, you are an author. Um, she, so you're an Amazon best-selling author and the host of the Hashtag Morning Press series on Periscope and Facebook. And your most recent released book is a second of an eight-part series, Getting Through Difficult Situations, The Ripple Effect. And this is a follow-up of your first book, which is It's Okay to Cry. Um, 
So again, I'm super excited to have you here. Yes, I'm definitely super excited to be here. Every opportunity that I get to empower another woman who's going through abuse or just speak and them hear my story, it's always a blessing. Wow, yes. And I'm I'm excited too. These are conversations that um you know, and that's part of this show also is kind of sharing stories of resilience. Um, you know, definitely I love talking to individuals that have gone through difficult situations and how they've come away with that, how it sparked their passion. Um, and it's, you know, again, a means for inspiration, I hope, for others. And, you know, definitely talking about, um, you know, and actually I should have made a disclaimer here. We're going to be talking a little bit, you know, we are going to be talking about um, some heavy topics today. So just kind of, you know, keep that in mind if you're listening with little ones in the car. This is going to be kind of a more heavier Parts of it are going to be a little bit heavier than maybe we've been used to on this podcast. And I'm, I am to- so open to that. Um, and I think that's really important. So just kind of to, you know, as an introduction, um, just, I guess, some statistics, because, you know, something, again, that we don't often talk about, especially, I think, amongst um, in our communities and our uh various communities. Um, and I think especially as minorities, um, you know, I'm um, a daughter of immigrants. I'm really involved in my cultural community of um, Indian Pakistani origin, and then also my religious community, um, being an American Muslim. Um, and I think some of these issues definitely are kind of coming to the forefront, um, as they should, but it's not with a lot of um, you know, growing pains and, you know, they're seen as taboo topics. But just to kind of reiterate, if we're talking about abuse and these traumatic experiences, um, what we do know is that one in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of child sexual abuse. Self-report studies show that 20% of adult females and 5 to 10% of adult males recall a childhood sexual assault or sexual abuse incident. Um and children are most vulnerable vulnerable to child um, sexual abuse between the ages of seven and thirteen. Um, I'm also a child psychiatrist, and I see people of all ages. I see kids, and I see adults, and you know these are things that come up um, in various um, you know at various points in people's lives, depending on kind of what they're going through. And I think it's interesting for mothers that have um, been through this experience. There's something particularly triggering. Um, when they have their own kids, um, I've seen moms that when their child hit the age where they, um, kind of experienced that abuse, whether it was sexual abuse or physical abuse or neglect that can actually, I've seen that be a trigger. Um, and then we've definitely, you know, we see when, um, kids are going through, the kids have gone through similar experiences, then that's definitely a trigger for PTSD also for moms. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, number one, what you do? And how you help um, motivate women, but then also kind of about your journey and experiences that led you down this path. So I definitely can. So, oh, the journey, that's basically what it is for each and every person. And a lot of times we forget that everybody's journey is going to look completely different um, from our choices to our background, to our history, to who our parents are. So when it comes to abuse, that is no different. And I literally, as a child, I was abused, but I never said anything. I never, you know, got an apology. I never went to court. I never went through that process. I kind of like just buried it because I felt as though for me at the time when I was molested, I wasn't staying with my mother. 
and she was going through school and everything. So I never said anything to her because even as a small child, I felt like I had to protect her. Hmm. And a lot of children, that's one of the, the things that they go through when it comes with through abuse is because, you know, they think, oh, somebody tells them, well, don't say anything or I'll harm your parents. You know, if you say anything, they won't believe you. They'll believe me. You know, there's all of these different things, but it all plays out on that relationship that the child has with the, their parent or guardian. And so for me, because me and my mother were so close, but at that point in that time, I wasn't living with her. I felt like I had to protect her. So I did not say anything. And then years down the line, lo and behold, my two daughters were molested. And that was my trigger because I now had to go through the emotions of not being healed from molestation myself, but also have to go, go through that healing process for them. Now, the difference between my situation and theirs was that for them as children, um, my oldest daughter spoke up where I had never said anything. And we went through the whole process of court. They actually did not have to go to court because he pleaded guilty. So that helped the process, but it still was a very long process. A lot of people think that with molestation, it's a, once it's done, it's done. You need to kind of get over it. And that's not the case at all. So it's definitely been an interesting journey. Hmm. And how did that um, lead you to well, – actually, I love the way that you, you know, as we were talking, that you described um, even just kind of your choice in words kind of I think says a lot to the person that you are and how you've persevered and how you've used this um, experience. But even when you were talking, about, you told me about um, your daughters and that you didn't – the word that you used was victors, that they were victors of, um, of uh, abuse or molestation. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Definitely. So one of the things I like to do is I never like to say somebody is a victim because oftentimes it puts somebody in a mindset of that they're stuck in that moment. And so I'm not a victim of molestation. I am a victor over molestation. So even if I struggle with moving past that moment, there are some ways that I've grown. There are some things that I've learned about myself. There are some things that I've learned about other people I take a hold of those things and try to press forward. And that's also kind of how to, I got, came up with the whole morning press is I give you tools and tips to go into, you know, each day, pressing into each day, pressing into that next level for yourself. So for me, I, at this point, I still hadn't told anyone until 35. I'm 37 now, so two years. Um, we're the same age. Came out, Actually, yeah, all three of yeah. us are the same age. Yes, we are. <laughs> Calvin <Yeah>. and me <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, it came out two years ago. Literally, um, I was having a conversation about trust with my daughter, and it, it kind of just came out in the emotions of the moment. And as I stood there, tears were streaming down my face, tears were streaming down my daughter's face. And we're just kind of looking at each other like, uh... Okay, now what? And I, I gave a talk earlier this year where I talked about hold my hand and how that was the process of 
you know, that whole thought process of holding my hand because at that moment, my daughter really couldn't do much of anything, but she grabbed my hand and just was holding my hand. And we had a conversation and we talked about it. And, you know, it helped me to open up a little bit more and it helped her to open up a little bit more. And it also, you know, showed me that sometimes women need to understand and not just women, because now we know with the statistics that are coming out, we know that for one, the statistics are very skewed. Um, a large demographic that is not being included in that statistic are the homeless. Because of them being homeless, a lot of times they do not go and report being molested or raped, um, if, especially if there's someone who's sleeping outside in tent cities and things of that nature. Even those who are sleeping in um different uh, homes and things, group homes and things of that nature. We know that even some of the shelters have had a high rate of rape and molestation, even in the shelters, which is why a lot of times they were working on separating shelters and having shelters for men and shelters for women. But it kind of was like put behind, it was, it was that dark cloud that nobody really wanted to talk about. They kind of, you know, pushed it to the side, pushed it behind the screen so it wasn't a big focus. So a lot of the statistics that we're seeing, we're seeing, even though one in five for girls and one in 20 for boys is really devastating, just imagine there's still a large number that hasn't said anything, that never went and told. So for me and my girls, one told the other was too young to say anything, and I never said anything. That's three lives right there, and three destinies, three journeys that all were changed. So sometimes it's just a matter of fact that we as women or we as men or we as victors over abuse need to be the one to open our mouth now, and just say it happened. The we, we want you to share some stories and glimpses into some of the women that you've helped. But before we get to that, I've always wondered because I, I didn't uh, experience abuse. So when people tell me about abuse that they've gone through um, because I was raised, quote unquote, the right way, it's really hard on me to like one, wrap my mind around why would someone ever do that to someone else? You know, that, that's horrible. I couldn't like I have a I have a 13 year old niece, a 14 year old daughter, and I couldn't imagine ever being as close as I am to them and then simultaneously, you know, doing something that will forever scar them. Um, and so I wonder by entering into these spaces, entering into the pain because you can relate to it, does it re does it reopen wounds for you or how do you do that without it destroying you on a daily basis? Now that part is really interesting. Um, everybody's at a different level of healing mm -hmm. when it comes to that molestation. So for me, I'm an emotional person, so I'm going to be emotional anyway. I cry at movies and cartoons, <laughs> all types of stuff. If it's Pixar, that makes sense. It's okay if it's a yeah, Pixar exactly. movie, right? <laughs> First 10 minutes of Up, that was just trying to make grown men cry. I don't know why they do it. Finding Nemo. First scene of Finding Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm emotional anyway. So, but it's a good and a bad thing. And I'm going to say why. Okay. Me being an emotional person, 
people know that I'm real. They know that I'm transparent. If I'm talking to you and your your story is emotional and hitting me at a point where it makes me cry, then you know that it's real. If someone's just sitting, and this is why a lot of people are turned off from going to therapy, because you're sitting in a room and the what you went through was emotional for you, but you feel as though the person you're speaking to it they don't understand that emotion. Right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get it. I would not get it. But right. I try to. I try to like just give a hug or say I'm sorry that that happened. But I have no point of reference. Or but but continue. I'm sorry. Oh no! Exactly. That's it. Exactly. And you have even with people around you, you get the people that say I'm sorry. The people that go, Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Um, let me know if you need anything. These are kind of like the the everyday. Um, statements that are said when anything devastating happens. Okay. But someone who's been through it, and now they're not just saying, okay, it's going to be all right, and I'm praying for you, but they're saying, I'm praying for you. I know how you feel. Okay. And so it kind of it, it allows me to connect with people, whereas somebody else they wouldn't connect with, with whereas a lot of people, again, and this is something else that a lot of people don't realize is that women who go through abuse, and I don't know the statistics with the men, but women who go through abuse, they are the ones who become drug addicts. They are the ones who are teen parents. That not, not saying all of the demographics, right. but these are some of the journeys that they reach, that these are some of the journeys that their their path goes towards. Um, becoming a stripper. Um, becoming a prostitute, these are some of the ways, the places that they end up going to as an extreme from that one experience of being molested as a child. Hmm. And so it's like talking to somebody who hasn't been through it. Yeah, I can give you the step-by-step. I can give you, you know, what to look for in a child that has been molested. I can give you all of that process. And then for someone who has gone through it, I can say, I can literally grab your hand and say, okay, you know, these are some of the emotions that you're going to go through. See, I'm kind of... These are... Oh, go ahead. I'm kind of glad that you're you're saying what you're saying. Um... And I cannot remember the specifics of of this particular case that happened a few years ago. But it was when you mix politics and, and emotions, things can can get explosive. But there was a politician who said exactly what you were saying a few years ago. Um, these kinds of issues uh, can lead to, and he was talking specifically about women's rights and trying to care for women. So this can lead to women doing drugs, women in prostitution. Um, you know, this this kind of father wound, especially if it is a father molesting you or or a close uncle or something like that. Uh, and he was run out of town for for saying anything remotely like what you're saying right now. Uh, and so it's, mm-hmm. it's just it's just kind of interesting that as someone who is a a victor over uh, over this kind of abuse to say, yeah, you know, these are the kinds of things that it leads to. Um, I think it's important to have that out there because I was wondering when this politician said this, I was like, are, are people mad at him? Because it's not true, or or is it true, and they don't want to hear it? Because that's a that's a hard that's a hard thing to deal with when you want to believe at bottom that everything in the world is okay, that bad things don't happen to good people, when in fact bad things happen to good people, innocent people all the time. And I wonder if I mean, exactly. yeah, and then also the women that have gone through it. I mean, okay, again, I 
deal, I'm dealing with people every day that have anxiety, depression, um, you know, Sometimes they're referred by their EAP for work, for things like that. What's an EAP? Sorry. What does it stand for again? Employee Assistance Program. So okay. if they're having some – so basically like some difficulty at work and then they recommend that they come in and um, talk to somebody okay. and have an evaluation or whatever before returning or – you know. So – but yeah, probably there – I mean I'm seeing a segment too that's disproportionate – I mean disproportionate. Um, and, and I don't – I mean maybe it's not linking to like um, – it's not really like a criminality, but more like high risk behaviors. And you're talking about women or individuals, men and women that have spent so many times um, spent their whole lives and years not talking about it and kind of built, kind of building a shell around this experience. Um, sometimes it's a physical shell. Sometimes, I mean, literally kind of, um, you know, can lead to overeating, obesity for some people. Um Sometimes like this rough exterior, um, sometimes, of course, with younger kids, behavioral issues, um, but definitely. And then for me, it's I mean, and I'm a really I wouldn't say privileged, but delicate um, kind of honored position that when I hear these stories, it's that this person might be telling this huge, heavy piece of their lives and sharing it to me. And it's the first time they've ever talked about it. Um, but there's so many different ways that it impacts different individuals over their life. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's even so much as right now we see in America something that we haven't seen before, something that was, again, that hidden thing, the thing that was in the shadows, and that's the sex trafficking piece. Yeah. And so we're like, sex trafficking? Oh, no, that happens overseas. That happens in foreign countries. And now we're seeing these huge sex trafficking rings being dismantled here in the United States, and it's really close to home. So it kind of it kind of stings. It's like pouring salt on an open wound when you start to realize that it's happening in your own backyard. Literally, like there's a book that I read, and I didn't even know it was about this. It's called um, for anyone that's listening that's interested. Interested, it's called The Slave Across the Street, and it's literally about the sex trafficking ring in the '90s in Birmingham, Michigan. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I live, oh, I mean, Altavis, you're in Maryland, correct? Yes. So we're outside Detroit. That's literally, like you said, it's in my backyard. Oh, One of the, exactly. So so can you share um, some glimpses of the lives that you've touched or the women that you've helped, the women that have come to you, um, you know, share some of those experiences and stories? Yes. Yeah, so what I've been doing is I have several different classes. I help those who are in business. I help uh, those who are trying to get their story out. I help those who are um, who are scared to get their story out, who don't even think they have a voice. And that's where the whole deep voice coach came from, was that literally I help women to uh, find their voice. We oftentimes, as someone who has gone through abuse, you become the people person, uh, the people pleaser. You become the yes person. You become the person that um, you don't really know what you like because you've always taken on what somebody else likes. And so they struggle when it comes to business. They struggle when it comes to them working a job because they're never the one to present an idea. They kind of just go with the flow. And it's not that they don't have great ideas, but 
they don't feel comfortable enough. They don't feel like they have enough within them to actually say something, to say, I'm here. And so I helped them through that process. And it's funny because I always said that um, I struggled. With my first book, I struggled and fought with the title, It's Okay to Cry. Because I I said, who's going to buy a book titled It's Okay to Cry? Who's going to do that? (laughs) But (laughs) who wants to know that bit of information? But I actually... um, I went with the title and I was okay with it. And one morning I was live on Periscope, which is a live streaming app through Twitter. I went live on Periscope and I was going live at that time at 645 in the morning. Someone joined and when they joined for where they were, it was 345 in the morning. Now, what they were doing at 345 in the morning, (laughs) they had just gotten up like at happenstance because their kitten had gotten stuck underneath the sink. They got up, got the kitten unstuck, you know, were trying to figure out what else to do. They were up anyway. They just happened to see that, you know, a notification that somebody had shared out my broadcast and it came in. And we were talking about the fact that a lot of times when it comes to molestation or abuse or rape, we stop, we shut down. We don't talk to people. We don't, we don't reach out to anybody anymore. That's part of those signs that you start seeing that somebody's going through something and they really need help. And so, you know, she had talked about not talking to her brothers and going through the whole process of, you know, telling them about her being raped as a child and uh, the ones that didn't believe her and how it had put such a strain on her family. And through all this process, we're still on live stream. I don't see her. She can see my face, but I can't see her, of course. I can just see her handle. And she said she started to cry. She said, you know, for the first time, I'm realizing that through this whole process, that's the one thing I haven't done. Is I haven't taken that time and just sat down and and just cried about the situation. It was always, I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving forward. I got to press it out. I got to figure it out. And you're always moving and you're trying to bury this thing further and further down and we kind of don't deal with it. So in that moment, she cried. And I was like, okay. Okay. The book was, the book was, the title was okay. All right. Hmm. So that was just one. And again, that was somebody I, I, and I never heard from her again. I never got the opportunity to connect with her any further than that. But in that moment, it was what she needed. Hmm. So in all this, I mean, this is a heavy topic, right? I mean, this is, this is heavy stuff. Uh, it's not the happy-go-lucky stuff that people want to hear on a sunny day. Like, hey, let's, let's talk about abuse, <laughs> um, right? Exactly. Um, but... And, and so it's it's easy to assume that everything that you're walking into is dark, and sometimes it is. Um, but that doesn't mean that, as, as you said, you know, you prefer to look at people as as victors and not victims. So victors denotes victory, right? You know, victory over over oppression, victory over um, an enemy, or or that kind of thing. And I, you know, I look at victory and I, I think of sports, right? You know, like you see your favorite sports team celebrating, right? It's great, you know, high fives, all that kind of stuff. So. In that, I imagine that there's something to celebrate in all of this, in, in the work that you do. So what's been uh, your most fulfilling endeavor? 
So my most fulfilling endeavor, and this was this is caught me by surprise. Um, I am a part of several different uh, global networks on social media and things like that. And I was live in one of the women's communities that I'm a part of. And it was a day where I got to just tell people about who I was, what kind of things I do, things of that nature. And so I asked my oldest daughter to sit down with me for the interview. I mean, well, not an interview, but she, I was interviewing her. She just didn't know it. Okay. <laughs> don't let them know, right? Dude, right. You don't let them know until they're on screen. Right. And then they can't run. <laughs> so uh, she, we sat down, and I, one of the questions that I asked her was, what was your most, what, so far, what was your most proud moment of, you know, for me? Like, what was your most proud moment where you were like, oh, my goodness, that's my mom. I'm so proud of her. Now, mind you, I've at this point I've published books, I've done speaking engagements, I you know went through the certification process, become a certified life coach. Like I've done all of these great things, and I'm like, okay, so what has been you know that that moment where you would stuck your chest out and you were just like, that's my mom, and her response kind of floored me because her response was. It was the day that you told me you were molested. Wow. And I was just like, huh. Because, again, I'm thinking I did the certification and, you know, my mom has published books. I'm right. proud of her and she, she's traveling. And, and no, she was just like, no, it was the day that you told me you were molested. And, you know, I had her elaborate a little bit more because I was like, okay, you know, why, why is that? And she said, because I got to see that I wasn't alone, Ooh. that you really did understand. And even before that, you know, because you, you, first of all, a parent, every parent in America knows we know nothing, right? When we have, when our children get to that teenage year, <laughs> you know, absolutely nothing. We've never been in school. We've never had friends. <laughs> we, we know nothing. So, I'll tell you what. So our kids you know, think that. Our kids think that. It, but they do, <laughs> and, and and we do know that we know stuff, but they still manage to make us feel like we don't know anything. Like, you know, like I have no exactly. idea what I'm doing right now. I have zero <laughs> idea what I'm doing, but I know some stuff. So just listen to me, right? You know. But I get, I get what. You're <laughs> and it's the truth. It is so the truth. You just go, okay, yeah, I don't really know anything. All right, I'll just sit here. Yeah, I'll just sit and here. And it's like, okay, so now what? And so she was just like, you know it really opened my eyes that you were not just telling me things just to tell me. And, you know, with our teenagers, they often think, oh, we're telling them because we don't want them to have fun. We're telling them because we want them to suffer and be the, the lonely kid on the block. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are all the things that our children really think about us, right? Yeah. so that has been my most, amazing moment of this journey so far is even with the clients that I help and I'm watching them do some amazing things to them talking about dealing with depression and them talking about um, being overcomers of domestic violence. And I'm watching them create programs for women to get out of domestic violent relationships. And I'm, I'm watching, literally I'm watching all of this unfold and it still brings, you know, warmth to my heart. It brings tears to my eyes. It still makes me so proud, but nothing will be able to top 
when she said that. And I was live, so I couldn't kind of like <laughs> right take it in. You couldn't you couldn't run you couldn't run away from you couldn't run away from the screen at that point, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Works, I was bo- stuck. works both ways. <laughs> wow. And so that's what you do. You help women to find, to find, and utilize their be- their past experiences into speaking to- um, topics, books, and business ideas. Yes. So how do yes, you, indeed. yeah, so I mean, so, okay, so you're a motivational speaker, you're a life coach, so that means, like, you know, how does that work exactly? Tell us a little bit about yeah, what Yeah, what the do. heck is a life coach? I've heard about this. I'm like, so, man, I've been going through life. Do I need a so coach? Now, <laughs> that's the whole thing. This whole life coach thing, that title, it has so many different extremes to it how i use it is because the women that i uh, again the women that are in my target the women that i deal with a lot of them have gone through some traumatic experiences a lot of them have gone through some type of abuse and so it allows me to shut down the emotion and be able to speak to them from a professional level but you have some life coaches that are just a life coach because they think it's going to add dollar signs to them. Okay. That's just, yeah, you do have some, you have a good, uh, unfortunately you have a good number of them just because they thought it added dollar signs. But for me, it's, I, I'm able to talk to those who are, um, yeah, those who are, uh, I guess going through that process, I'm able to talk to them from a professional level as well as from the emotional so it's not all rah-rah. It's not all I'm going to be your cheerleader. Some point is going to be, okay, I know that you're comfortable right now. Let's get you out of that comfort zone. I know that you're comfortable right now. Okay, I know what triggers to get you out of that comfort zone from the professional perspective. But I also know how that can make you feel from the emotional side. Okay, so and, so the question I would have on on, on that is, like mm-hmm. Sabah is a is a child psychologist and and you're a life coach. Psychiatrist. At, 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 I'm sorry, psychiatrist. Yeah. I, I I get corrected on that all the time. <laughs> all right, I'm not a psychologist. I, no, 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 I, not I can, in a I can negative way at all. I can prescribe medicine. Okay, well, um, sometimes it's not a good thing. Right, but um, <laughs> but when I I went to school to uh, for ministry. Okay, and I did a. I remember I had a class that was called um, counseling for ministers, and we had a. Uh, psychiatrist who taught the class and on day one he said he said you need to you know half half the class was uh well three quarters of the class was um majoring in psychology and then Mm. there was my row (laughs) which was we called our our row pastor's row because we were all majoring in ministry and he just said straight out he said if you were in here and you're going into ministry like straight up working in a church ministry. Like if you're going to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist and you view that as your ministry, that's one thing. But if you're in a church, you need to, in your desk, have cards to refer people out to mm. psychiatrists. You need to know that sometimes you're out of your depth. They might come to you for a certain thing that your ministry degree can go so far. Um, but then there will be problems that are out of your depth. And so my question for you is, as a life coach, you're talking about, you know, the professional side of things and and your background, obviously, having been a victor, uh, you can obviously enter into the pain and and relate to people. But as a life coach, is there ever a time where you realize, okay, this this requires more care than I can give uh, with my particular skill set? Most 
Definitely. Okay. I am I am a strong believer in not trying to be a jack a jack of all trades. <laughs> that is not. I know that at, at some point. I, and again, that goes back to, and again, that's why you have some that they do their own thing. But that's why for me, it's okay knowing where my line ends. Good. Knowing where my line ends and now where the line begins where you need therapy. Okay. Right. And being able to comfortably um, relay that to my clients as well. And so... I'm, I, that's another thing. I'm not, I don't take on everybody. If I feel as though that you need therapy first, you need counseling first, then that's what I'm going to suggest. You may not like it. <laughs> right. Everybody doesn't like it, but mm-hmm. cause you know, when we have it in our mindset that we're signing up for something because that's what we want to do. And, and we know what, what's best for us. And somebody says, okay, I think you need to seek counseling. We kind of roll our eyes and suck our teeth. <laughs> we, we do this whole two-year-old tantrum thing. But the reality of it is, is I'm not going to put you into my program for you to come out hurt or you to come out at a position that lower than where you were when you came in or a position that completely less feel from where you wanted to be. I don't want that. Okay. Yeah. Or there's now, a, a idea mean, of re-traumatizing yeah. too. Yeah. I guess, I guess one of the other things in the back of my head, you know, as, as a African-American male myself, I know that, you know, the black in, in your, your black female yourself, you know, within the African-American community, I'm, I don't know why I'm assuming that the people you take on are, are black, but let's assume that you do take on black people. And within the within our background, within our history, there is generally a distrust of psychologists and psychiatrists. I mean, going all the way back to the Tuskegee experiments, where they were, you know, experimenting on, you know, the health department was experimenting on black people with, uh, you know, with with syphilis and things like that. So I'm wondering if you get people who you suggest that, <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't trust that. I trust you. I just need a life coach, exactly. but yep. I don't. I don't trust psychi- psychology, psychiatry, doctors, all those people. Um, what do you do when you get someone who kicks against the the bricks of you realizing? Yeah, you need you need something more than I can give. You need actual therapy before I can take you on. What do you What do you do in a situation where someone's like, "No, I just need a life coach. I don't need I don't need anything else than than just having someone to kind of walk me through some of my day to day problems. And I can handle it." So that's the hard part because in the African-American community, counseling therapy is a no-no. There's been this whole idea of what goes on in this house stays in this house. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we saw a lot of our great grandparents and grandparents go through uh, domestic violence and stay with the person. We saw a lot of them go through um, drug addiction and things of that nature and never get help because what goes on in this house stays in this house. And I kind of, related it to literally think about you have this box that has that has all this pretty wrapping and has the bow on it and it's sitting on the mantle and it's just sitting there and so you're like okay well what why is the box there and there don't touch the box well what's inside the box don't worry about what's inside the box don't touch the box okay And you're just sitting there like, well, what's in this box? Why is this box sitting here? And a lot of us, our emotions 
are the wrapping on that box because the box is the abuse. The box, the box is, you know, whatever we've been through, but we've sat it up on this shelf and people see it, but don't want to talk about it. Okay. People may know it's there, but they don't want to ask questions. And so it's, it's getting to the point where somebody goes to the box, rips the wrapping off and, and kind of dumps everything on the floor and says, okay, we need to deal with it. And so for those who give me that battle and that fight, okay, so what's the next step for them? You know, what's the next step for them? The next step for them is they may need to find somebody who's a little closer to them that can push them to that point. So then I'd go a little deeper and I say, okay, well, who is your support system? Because that's big in any business, in any, uh, Anything that you do, having that support system is very big. And I go, okay, so where's your support system? Why don't you talk about it with your support system and see what they say? See if they're going to tell you that it's still a good idea for you to do the classes or if maybe you should do something a little different. Now, if you have a great support system, they're going to tell you, um, okay, what she said was right. Or they're going to knock you over the head and throw you in the car and drop you off at therapy. Like they're not <laughs> going to. <laughs> they're a, a real support system is not going to allow you to continue to go through whatever that is. They're going to want you to get help. And so I haven't come across any that did not have a support system that did that. Okay. So I think that's Thanks. interesting. I think also, I mean, so many points here. Um, definitely, Calvin, what you touched upon. I mean, that's definitely something that I deal with in my community. Um, you know, it's whatever the background or, I mean, the experiences or what they're going through, it can be very hard to get to that point, um, of accepting like, you know, maybe I need help. Um, number two, it's interesting, even just, um, you were talking about the church for us, it's, um, the mosque. And I know I mentioned this to you. I do talk to residents and like basically, um, physicians in training that are training to be psychiatrists about the importance of collaborating with like chaplains or imams and that we definitely know that studies show that when there is some some level of collaboration between these two, two modalities then usually there's better outcomes um, and definitely our for my community our imams are really first line I mean they're really the gatekeepers um, so many times people are going to be more comfortable more open to going to the imam women and men alike um, to talk about, I mean, I know our moms are just f flooded with these um, um, requests to speak about um, domestic violence or abuse or um, just depression, anxiety, all of these issues. So there's inter it's interesting, the similarities. But I also, I guess I'm reflecting with you that for a person to be in your program, they have, have to be at that point. Maybe they've already had to have gone through therapy, have had to process um, you know, all these emotions and, you know, grief or acceptance or how are you going to move on from this except, you know, being in treatment and dealing with their anxiety or depression or PTSD or symptoms of PTSD. So it's like when, to to be able to um, – you have to be at that point before you, I think it sounds like, can be ready to define your voice and go out there and put yourself out there and um, I think, you know, and um, – into those next endeavors. Does that sound – so you're kind of like yes. waiting for them at so, that next step. Right. And this is why. One of the things that I always do with the with Define Your Voice, part of that process is those pivotal moments. And we go back to those pivotal moments. So if that pivotal moment is something that you haven't really healed from, 
than trying to speak about it or write a story about it or use it to target an audience that you can you can directly connect with is going to be very difficult. And pivotal moments are the moments in your life where you literally pivoted. It's the moment where you thought you were doing great in school and then you got kicked out of college and you never went back. That's a pivotal moment. It's the moment where you left and came back. (laughs) And when you came back home from school, your pet had died. It's a pivotal moment. For some, they may never get a pet ever again. You know, it's, it's for everybody, it's going to be different. But that pivotal moment is very important in defining your voice because that is you. That is your voice. Hmm. That is how you connect with some, somebody else. That is how you reach a target. So for me, overcoming that abuse, that was my voice. And that's how I've been able to connect with those who have gone through abuse, those who have been in domestic violent relationships, those who have been molested or raped. It's because I had to realize it, define it, accept it, (laughs) and use it in helping the next person. So a lot of times we go back to that being hurt. If I haven't really, and this is not to say that they have to be 100% healed from it. It's not to say that they have to be 100% delivered from whatever the situation was, but they have to acknowledge it. And you still have a lot of people that have buried it so deep that they don't even remember what they went through. I feel like we could we could probably talk for another hour, but unfortunately, we are winding down. Where where can where can people find? I mean, you've got a book out, um, and you're also a life coach. I I know that you're on on Facebook. Where can people uh, who are interested in finding out more about who you are, what you offer, uh, what you're writing? Where can they find out more about you? So they can definitely find out more about me by, if you want to talk to me a little more freely, contact at altavistelzer.com. That's my email. But also, I'm on social media at Find Your Voice Now. That's on Periscope, Instagram, Facebook, uh, even LinkedIn, Find Your Voice Now. You'll always connect with me. And I have something for the, those who are listening, um, who feel as though that they're ready to define their voice. I would like to be able to give them a free copy of my book. And so if they go to bit.ly forward slash love my voice and put in the coupon code speak up, they can actually get the ebook of my book Define your voice and start looking at what the process is that I do with my clients. That that's what it is. But that book alone takes you through the whole process of what it is to define your voice. Okay. Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much for that for our listeners too thank you so um wow this is a very powerful conversation um i'm so happy that our paths uh, crossed i'm so um humbled that you were able you know to join our show and um share kind of your story your experiences your pearls of wisdom so thank you so much for being here altaviz thank you guys for having me i definitely enjoyed talking with you guys today likewise and we loved having you on this is awesome um and again, you know, for our listeners, if any of these topics, um, you know, they're sensitive, if they do feel like they're kind of hitting close to home um, or hitting a nerve, then, you know, reach out and um, maybe consider if you've gone through this, one of these experiences and you haven't gotten the help that um, it might be time to kind of um, take that next step. Um, 
But thank you for everybody for tuning in. And um, please like our Facebook page, uh, follow and uh, download. Um, you can follow us on the podcast app, um, SoundCloud. We're Unsung Heroes through the Podcast Detroit Network. Um, and we'll be here next time with another inspirational story um, of action. So thank you so much for joining us.